Your mission, if you choose to accept it, is to listen to The Film File, the film show for film geeks, by film geeks. This podcast will self-destruct in five seconds. Which, that's about five seconds. <laughs> that is about five seconds. And we are so pleased that you're going to accept this mission and join us here at The Film File, the film show for film geeks, by Film Geeks, I'm Lee Ford. I'm Andy Meakin. And welcome to this little shop of horrors. I do hope that someone's phone didn't suddenly break after that um, intro theme uh, with us uh, saying, you know, this will self-destruct after five seconds because we're going to get people suing us. And as we said last week, we don't have lawyers, so uh, this is no. not going to end well. <laughs> I have a cat. I don't know if that means anything, but I have a cat. So just in case, cat lawyer. That sounds like one of those really bad 80s pictures, doesn't it? Starring Jim Belushi, who is a lawyer, but somehow to learn the error of his ways, he has to become a cat and defend somebody in court. Why do I want to see that film? Now? <laughs> it is. It's, it's an 80s pitch. And then right at the end, uh, Jim Belushi turns back into a human, has a bigger respect for his family. Uh, the people is defending and cats. This is what people come for on this podcast, us talking <laughs> nonsense on an earlier, early morning recording. <laughs> and it is early for us. I want to start off this week by having a little bit of a moan about... Oh, no, not, you, not like you, Andrew. ...fandoms and spoilers. Okay. Because if you look at, like, the Game of Thrones fans who read the books and managed to sit on all the spoilers without revealing anything while yeah. the show was running to catch us up, they were great. But now, even before a new season of something has aired... I now know I have the ending spoiled because all the football fans telling us that Wrexham won and are now getting promoted last night. Spoiler alert for Welcome to Wrexham Season 2. Man, could you not <laughs> sit quiet with this? Yeah, I turned, a, I turned a rant into a joke because, come on, even us who aren't football fans can't help but be pleased for Wrexham finally getting themselves into the proper leagues. Um, especially if you've been watching Welcome to Wrexham Season 1 and you can see what football means to the community and, you know, how much Ryan Reynolds and McElhenney have really committed to turning that team around. It's hard to not be invested, despite the fact I don't care about football. And when the, the final whistle blew yesterday, I was cheering. Did you actually watch it? No, I was at work, so oh, I had, okay. um, met, I've got... I've got alerts coming up on my phone uh, for Wrexham <laughs> simply because I've watched Welcome to Wrexham. And I, I was just really pleased for them. Absolutely great. I can't wait to see the responses on the end of the next season as that happens and get to see like how it, what it means to all the people who I feel like have come to know through watching the show. Awesome. This is like a real-life Ted Lasso. We're rooting on Ted Lasso for them to win. We're rooting for that team, even though we don't care about football. So this is the real-life Ted Lasso. I'm rooting for them because of a TV show. <laughs> I still haven't got round to watching it yet. I still have to have to watch it. I only started watching the show because of a certain Ryan Reynolds, but, you know, yeah, it worked. <laughs> it's well worth checking out. You'll, you'll plough through the episodes quite fast because you just become so engrossed in the culture of football around that area i've kind of fallen a little bit behind with all of my viewing i was saying to my good lady last night that there are so many shows we are sort of two episodes from the end that we mm. just need to get back onto <laughs> and for some reason it's become particularly difficult to do but we need to do it we need to get back into our viewing habits because over the last few weeks we've really really sort of thrown out of our groove i'm in the same situation i looked at my tv tracker stats 
and like looking at all the shows that have still got stuff to watch. And same as you, it's literally two episodes of each yeah. season that I'm stuck on. I've still not watched the last two episodes of last season of Sweet Tooth. Funny enough, neither has my uh, as my missus. Um, she's got the last two episodes of that. I I watched it because I just thought I had to get it get it done. I think it's that worry that like you know, oh, it's coming to an end, and I don't want to actually reach the end, and I'm enjoying it so much that puts me off watching the final couple of episodes. So I'll I'll probably catch up with them once season two lands, and then work straight into it but anyway um i have i have started watching uh your uh neat thing from last week oh barry barry enjoying it oh uh, yeah i'm <laughs> halfway through season one and it it's such an easy watch and so it, it's dry humor i it, love it like, it's not like dry over the top jokey it's just like the subtle elements of like what could be a serious scene that just turn it a bit of rye comedy uh yeah it's i'm loving it so uh i'll be catching up with that hopefully and then stopping two episodes before the end and how good is henry winkler in that show he's great absolutely great it's his best best role since his arrested development role right yes okay i wonder where you're going (laughs) actually i thought please don't go all the way back to happy days because the the guy has had a career since because what he did in arrested development was another bit of like just really jokey silly over the top like style and and yeah, in Barry with him playing like a, an actor who's training other people. And he's just so brilliant. I'm falling in love with that show and I can see why you brought it as a neat thing. So thank you very much. Awesome. This is what the neat things is all about. It's about, you know, opening your eyes to something that maybe you've missed. So uh, if you're one of those people who listens to us talk about our neat things and goes, eh, I'm a bothered. Go on. Check out our neat things because we're bringing them for a reason. I've, I've got an awesome one for today, by the way. Oh, cool. I, I've got one that you'll probably go, yeah, mm, not bothered. <laughs> Hey, no, I've, I've followed your lead on more than one occasion with a neat thing. Um, have you seen the Gen- Jeremy Renner doc? No, I haven't. That landed on Disney Plus, didn't it? Yeah, uh, well worth checking out. Uh, it's, it, you know, you know how we've been talking about him in the news and the accident that he had and his recovery. It's great to see him actually talk about it. And it also goes through what the actual accident was. And once you know the full details, man. He is so lucky to still be alive. Wow. Get it checked out. It's about 40 minutes long, so it's a, a quite a light, easy watch. But it's really heartfelt and great to see Renner really pulling through. Oh, that's good. Uh, I mean, I'd say I've got plenty of, of good viewing to talk about. And, and good listening is a hint Good listening to um, my neat thing this week. But hey, we're not just here to talk about what's going to happen. Let's talk about what we did last week when we gave you our social challenge yeah so last week's social challenge was to tie into renfield we asked with all his roles on film what is your favorite nicholas cage role and i thought we'd get a bigger response than what we did from this yeah i thought there was a lot of love for for the cage because a a few years ago when i did a an mtos on a sunday all about nicholas cage i had a great response but I don't know. I think it's possibly because loads of other people were also posting very similar questions. What with Renfield right. coming out, it kind of like people were like, well, I've already answered that over here. So they've not answered to us because I saw it on Twitter after I posted it. There was about seven other people that same day who posted a similar question. So fair enough. But we did get a few responses from, well, our regular listeners who are probably, you know, listening to this even before I broadcast it. Uh, Stephen Young. It says it's either kick-ass as Big Daddy. Yeah, which he basically played Adam West. Yes. Brilliant overacting, especially in the scene when he's uh, getting tortured and killed and he's given the instructions out to Hit Girl and he does that famous Nicolas Cage overacting, which works a treat for that one. He also lo- loves him providing the voice as Spider-Man Noir in the Spider-Man ver- Spider-Verse films. Yep. Um, he's a great voice actor. Let- never forget his voice acting. 
was it um, Teen Titans Go to the Movies that he finally got to voice Superman, the role that he should have played, let's be honest. Uh, the Croods, he did The Croods as well, didn't he? Yep. Carl was going to submit it, but as I've said before, Carl tends to forget. But he did mention at work City of Angels. Okay. Which is uh, an interesting yeah. choice. Over on Mastodon, Julie said adaptation, and I am so there for that. That is a great yeah. choice. Doesn't know whether it's the performance itself or the film in general that they like so much, which then reminded Julie that it's time to rewatch it. And her saying it reminded me it's time for us to add it onto the deep dive list. We should, yeah. Such a good film. Ozzy at Mastodon Worlds. As much as I love him in Mandy, I have to go with Pig. Such a subtle, heartfelt and quiet role. A simultaneously tragic and triumphant character. And one which surprises you every step of the way. From his relationship to food, to his interaction with a child, to him stirring into the face of violence in multiple contexts. Perfectly performed role in an impeccably written and directed movie. Now, I've not seen Mandy, but I totally agree on Pig there. Because you remember, remember last year when Still I reviewed it, it, it was a five-star film completely contrasting against everything that Nicolas Cage is known for these days. There wasn't overacting. It was a very sublime performance and very subdued. Shane IIB, hands down for me, Cage is brilliant in Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call, New Orleans. Mm, good choice. That That's actually on my short list for one of my ones as well. So all of my ones are getting said by other people. So it seems like we're kind of um, all in the same boat. Imran told us that he likes his performance in Drive Angry. It's just relentless and cool. I've never seen Drive Angry. It's been on my list for so long. <laughs> I have. Uh, but I've never got around to watching it. Uh, yeah, it's good fun. My mum can remember seeing him in films, but can't remember what films. And so he can't have made a huge impression. Fair enough, Mum. Cage isn't really for everyone. My older sister, Janet, has said that she's not watched many of his films, but will say that Face Off is a favourite. Whatever possessed him to do the Wicker Man remake, I'll never know. It's not like he needed the money. To which I pointed out, well, actually, he does need the money, which is why he makes so many films. And I pointed out his history of crazy compulsive purchases, including spending 250000 on a dinosaur skull that he then had to return to the country of origin because it had been stolen. <laughs> Lee Leary, not a surprise. I'd have my say in this one. He's a huge, huge Nicolas Cage fan. He watches even the worst of Nicolas Cage films. But no matter what he does, no matter how outrageous and funny I find him or how intense, my favourite is Red Rock West, a much toned down performance yeah, about a man who takes a job film. after being mistaken for Lyle from Texas. However, his fortunes take a turn for the worse when the job involves murder and Lyle from Texas then shows up. Excellent performances all around, subtle soundtrack. It's a great film. Thank you for pointing that one out. It's a it's a forgotten gem. I've never seen it, so uh, we'll add that onto the deep dive list. You know, every now and then we like to pick a deep dive that one of us hasn't seen as well. It gives us a, an excuse to watch it. So I'll add Red Rock West onto the list for some time later this year. And Al B said that all they can say is they've watched Connor more than any of the, his other films. That was yeah, on my list. It, it, it's a no-brainer, isn't it? That's basically the handful of uh, responses. So some thank you for the people who responded. We did get some interesting responses there. Uh, my own ones have all been mentioned, except for one for some reason. No one mentioned The Rock. Oh, yeah, which is I, I think is my favourite Nicolas Cage yeah, film. It's my favourite Nicolas Cage film. It's also the one good Michael Bay film. Yes, I'll agree with that wholeheartedly. I also had like Face Off, Con Air and Bad Lieutenant. But The Rock for me is the one that really sells it. Yeah, I'm going to go for The Rock at the top of my list. I'll put Con Air on that and I'll put Wild at Heart. Oh, good choice. Because that was his kind of breakthrough role. And and then Raising Arizona. I've never seen Raising Arizona. He's still finding his Nick Cage-ness at that point. And of course, where's the, where's the best place to find your Nick Cage-ness in a Coen Brothers film? So yeah. you've got everything. Yeah. Okay, so this week's social challenge. All you have to do is just tell us because we've got 
in our reviews a scary movie what scares you enough that you have to hide or had to hide behind a cushion while watching so it could be something from your childhood like the daleks whether it be and this is one i remember from being a kid it was a, a tv movie starring peter o'toole called rogue male and and the character was a spy and it had his fingernails removed so all the way through the, the movie he's wearing gloves and that just anything with with nails makes me cringe but what makes you want to hide whether it's a particular movie a character whether it's just something a little bit silly that only affects you what's one of those things you've had to watch but you've had to have a friendly cushion just ready or blanket to hide from whatever it is let us know here on the socials let's hope it doesn't traumatize you enough to give us a decent answer that we will read out next week you can reach us on twitter facebook mastodon or you can even message us on Instagram with whatever your choices are. And if you're listening on Spotify, the question will be linked to the show on there for you to reply directly through Spotify. Interesting to see what scares you or what has scared you. So talking of this week, what have we got on the show for you today? We've got a huge plethora of reviews that include Evil Dead Rise, which landed at cinemas this week, Ghosted, that landed on Apple TV+, and The Three Musketeers, D'Artagnan, which is also on limited release at cinemas. Check it out while you can. And one of those films I am desperate to see. This week's Deep Dive is an absolute classic and there is currently a 4K restoration doing the rounds. Yes, one of the greatest films of all time, Martin Scorsese's Raging Bull. We've got chat, we've got banter, we've got the news and we've got the box office. So in this game that we call box office, are the Super Mario Brothers still holding the course? Or has something come up out of the dark to scare it out of its number one position? So Super Mario retains the top spot for the third weekend, taking another 59.9 million in the US. Evil Dead Rise, the new entry, scares its way straight into second place, taking a solid 24.5 million. The Covenant is in third place with 6.4 million. John Wick Chapter 4 still holding in with 5.8 million. Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Amongst Thieves, 5.5 million to round off the top five of the US. Here in the UK, not much difference in the top spots. Super Mario Brothers, once again, in the first place, taking another 4.2 million. It's taken over 41 million in the UK alone so far. Evil Dead Rise slots into second place with 1.47 million. Dungeons and Dragons takes another 768,000. John Wick in fourth place with 589,000 and Err in fifth place with 516,000. Evil Dead Rise's strong opening has taken 42 million worldwide. It's well and truly into profit because it was quite a low budget production. Dungeons and Dragons is about to drop out of all the charts and it struggles to get to 178 million. But the genuine success, once again, is that Super Mario Brothers is up to 875 million worldwide to date, which is certainly a huge success. Who'd have thought it? Super Mario now makes it the biggest film of the year. Yep. At this rate that it's going, it could potentially end up being the biggest box office film of the whole year, despite all the big event films that are coming up. Maybe it's a good sign that people are returning to cinemas in droves as well. Yes. Well, we'll wait and see. It's definitely boding well for the industry. And if nothing else, it's boding well for animated industry, which had a few duff years over the past decade where they just weren't quite generating the footfall. But this year we've had Puss in Boots and this, which have both shown that there's a demand for some animation 
if it's done right. So where are we starting this week with the news, Andy? Let's start with Jonathan Majors. Okay. We know that we don't know any details of the investigation into the allegations against him because it's not been shared anywhere. But what we do know is that there's already some fallout from it as he's been dropped from multiple projects. Most notably, the upcoming film adaptation of the Walter Mosley novel, The Man in My Basement. He's also been dropped from an unannounced Otis Redding biopic and a series of ads for the Texas Rangers baseball team, which followed in the wake of his longtime management reps and publicists severing ties with him. All that we know with response to the allegations is he was arrested on March the 25th after NYPD officers showed up in response to a 911 call following a dispute he'd had with an unnamed 30-year-old woman. The woman was taken to hospital with what were described as minor injuries to her head and neck. Majors was charged with assault, strangulation and harassment. He's expected to appear in court on May the 8th to contest the charges, which is probably when we'll get a bit more details of what has actually gone on. But he's maintained his innocence throughout, as has his legal team, claiming that they've got additional evidence that will exonerate him. In the wake of the arrest, there's also been speculation that Marvel will look to sever ties with him. But this has all been speculation from uncredible sources. Marvel haven't made an official comment on any of this at the moment. I think they're actually waiting to see what actually happens, whether it goes to court before they have to make a decision. Because once it gets to May the 8th, the charges may be dropped on May the 8th. And if they get rid of him yeah. right now and those charges get dropped, they've got a lawsuit on their hands for unfair dismissal. We know that Kang the Conqueror was planned to be integral to the whole next phase of the MCU. They could replace him if he does become too problematic because Kang has multiple variants. So all they need to do is get another actor and say it's another variant. But I think it'll be a shame. But like we've said before, we're not taking sides at this point in time because we don't know the facts. And a few years ago, people made the mistake of jumping onto one side when the allegations first started against Johnny Depp. And look how that played out. And that's the key thing, isn't it, Andy? Um, a lot of people jumping the gun. Now, if there were allegations made, they are only coming from the fact that he was arrested. Now, I'm not defending him, nor am I damning him in the same breath. But we do have to wait until this is concluded. If it's concluded that he has done something wrong, then he deserves everything he gets. Every punishment. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and that is the right and proper thing. But if he hasn't done these things and it is just a, an allegation and there are two sides to this story, then a lot of people are going to have egg on their face if he, if he proves that he, he was innocent. Now, we have entered into this culture recently, and we've talked about this before, that you, that you are instantly damned. Mm in the eyes of the public before anything has come to realization and we are quick to take sides either way whether it's it's protecting somebody because we like them or it's it's damning them because we think oh well you know he's famous uh, or she's famous and they need pulling down a peg and, yeah. and the court of public opinion uh, seems to be uh, the one that that a lot of organizations follow i would rather see the facts before making any conclusion because I don't want to look stupid because I don't know and I'll gladly say I don't know what happened so either way I don't want to make an opinion even a personal judgment on it because that would just be silly once we know more details obviously we'll report on it on here and once any outcome is reached we'll be able to give our genuine opinion on that aspect but we're not making opinions and we're not taking sides at this point in time because we want to see how it plays out. We do. Sticking with Marvel, take this with a pinch of salt. In fact, take this with a dollop of salt as it comes from scoopers okay. such as Jeff Snyder and Daniel RPK. 
but Adam Driver might be in the running to play Reed Richards. Yeah, saw that. There has been some rumours all over the internet this week about the casting for Fantastic Four. As we're quickly approaching the start of production on this long overdue Marvel film, there have been names thrown in for Invisible Woman as well. Adam Driver's interesting. I, I think he would be an interesting choice. You know, I've got a lot of appreciation for what Adam Driver can bring to a role. And I think he'll definitely portray a, a decent, younger Reed. I say younger, he's, he's not particularly young, young. But, you know, it's it's that you always think of Reed as being like late 40s, early 50s. Yeah. And that's how it was originally played, wasn't it? In the, in the, in the first Jack Kirby comics, it was yeah. definitely someone who was late 40s, mid 50s. There's also been rumours that Austin Butler is going to be in the in the part for Johnny Storm. Again, pinch of salt because none of this is confirmed. The Adam Driver one comes from, like I say, it's Jeff Snyder and Daniel RPK who said that they're insider sources. So if you know either of those two people, you know that there's a lot of things that get thrown at the wall and see what sticks. But it sounds like a feasible one. Yeah, I mean, Mila Kunis seems to be trending at the moment because she was seen to have a meeting with the director. Vanessa Kirby is currently at the top of Marvel Studios' list, apparently. Oh, that's um, high on my list. You'll know her from Hobbs and Shaw, yeah. uh, The Crown and Everest. Jodie Comer, she's been mentioned a few times, as has uh, Megan's Alison Williams. So, again, wait and see. Juno Temple has been cast in Venom 3. That's been confirmed. Details of her role are under wraps, but she'll be joining that messy franchise. And now I've got a reason that I want to watch Venom 3. <laughs> Thank you, Juno Temple. You've ruined my life. Anyone who doesn't recognise the name, she plays Keely in the ever-excellent Ted Lasso series, and she is an absolute whirlwind of energy and delight. It's the only thing that has made me interested in watching another Venom film. It, it won't be the first time that she's appeared in a comic book movie, though, will it? She was in Dark Knight Rises. Mm, yeah, details, like we say, are under wraps. More news as it happens. But start your speculation on what kind of character she's going to be playing. And sticking with Venom 3, Owen Wilson has been rumoured for a role. Wow. And could he be playing Loki's Mobius M. Mobius? Wow. Very good. I see what you did there. It took me a couple of seconds <laughs> to, to get it. And then, yeah. I, I hope not. I don't want them to directly try to shoehorn the Venom films into the MCU. No. They tried to do it on the trailering campaign for both Venom and Morbius. They tried to shoehorn it in. It's like, oh, it's linked to the MCU, only to discover when you watch the film. Ah, psych, we fooled you. Uh, no, we don't want it. Victoria Alonso, who we reported her being kicked out of Marvel last month under controversial circumstances, has settled with Marvel in a multi-million dollar payout with the company. Now, given that Marvel's stance when she was booted was that she'd broken her contract for apparently promoting Argentina 1985 on the road to the Oscars, it seems strange that Marvel have agreed to make such a multi-million dollar payout, doesn't it? Mm. It's almost as though they know that yeah. they broke the contract, she didn't. I'm glad that she's got a payout and glad it's all been resolved because... As we discussed when it happened, there was something what didn't sit right with us on how she suddenly exited. This is one of the people who was responsible for the MCU becoming what it is. She's been behind it since yes. Iron Man. But there was uh, various problems that they had, the company had with her over the past few years, particularly under Chapek's reign when she called him out on some of his, shall we say, less tasteful comments about politics. Yeah, yeah. It looked like the company was wanting to just get her out of the way. Hopefully she'll go on to bigger and better things. What may help Marvel's fortunes has been some of the social media reactions uh, for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, which gets released in a scant two weeks, oh, or a wow. so week close. and a half by the time you uh, listen to this, and which has been hailed as its 
best Marvel movie since Avengers Endgame. We'll just have to wait and see, but you will hear our reviews when we see it on this show. So one rumor that seems to be going around is that Marvel are being quite at the point where they are looking in on themselves and seeing where they go next. And according to sources, that is that they want to become more director-centric. So hiring directors who can put their own particular vision into the work, like I suppose exactly like they did with James Gunn. Yeah. And to, to some extent, back with the Avengers, Joss Whedon. It's not the first time that they would have done that. Um, I mean, look at Ryan Coogler on the first Black Panther, certainly. But interesting. Uh, and it does seem there is a bit of soul searching happening at Marvel right now. Yeah. And talking of soul searching, over at Paramount, insiders are describing Transformers Rise of the Beast as a bit of a mess and are getting concerned. I've not read into this but that's mainly because every time that I see any reports that this film is a bit of a mess, it, it usually ends up being that the test preview initially went, you know, what they normally do before they do reshoots to touch things up. And yeah. then people go, oh, well, those, they're going back and reshooting, so it must be a, an absolute shambles. And when the films come out in the end, you go, you watch them and you go, well, that didn't seem that bad. Because we've heard this as well about it. Well, we heard it on Captain Marvel. We've heard, we're hearing it already with the Marvels. That apparently that's a bit of a mess. You know, Captain Marvel wasn't a mess, and I'm not I'm not convinced mm. that the Marvels is going to be a mess. And so I'm not, I'm not listening to any of this. Oh, the the reshooting because it's, it, because the test audience said it was rubbish. Test audiences are there for a reason. They put this in to see where the problems are to make the film better by the end. So let's just hold off. Over to Star Wars, and again it's scoopers. So again pinches of salt. But John Rocher from the Hot Mike podcast has revealed that John Boyega is hinted to have resolved his issue with the Star Wars franchise and might be getting cast in the recently announced Daisy Ridley-led Ray film. Um, Jeff Snyder posted in response that his own insiders haven't told him anything, being a petulant child because he didn't get there first. And he was being he was kind of dismissive about Roach's scoop. And I love the idea of someone who just throws things at a wall and sees what stick, getting upset yeah. that he didn't throw this thing at a wall to see if it stuck. And so start attacking a different scooper. So forget Star Wars. I'm well invested in scooper wars. But Boyega, it would make sense. It would be great. I think he, he was underdone, wasn't he, by the Star Wars franchise? Well, the whole series was underdone yeah. towards the end because no one knew what to do with it. And his problem wasn't that he'd had enough of Star Wars. He still loved Star Wars. He just felt that his character was given a disservice. And maybe this Ray sequel that they're doing is a chance to give him something back to his character and give him that purpose and give him a good story alongside it. So it, it, it kind of fit. We'll see how this plays out. But like I say, at this moment, pinches of salt. Jumping over to DC, it's been reported that The Flash, which will get its debut at CinemaCon, so there will be some word of mouth on it. If you've heard Tom Cruise say it, it's probably awesome. <laughs> but has reportedly cut reference to the Snyderverse and will take place in 2017's Justice League DCEU rather yep. than the Snyder Cut. Thing is, uh, Warner Brothers DC said a few years ago that they wouldn't consider that Zack Snyder's recut was canon. It was always just done as a, here you go, we'll let you finish off your court pet project, but you're nothing to do with the actual continuity of the setting up. And they've stated since day one that Joss Whedon's version 
as poorly received as it was, is canon. Yeah, because more people have seen that, haven't they, than the, the four-hour Snyder Cut. Yeah, it makes sense, especially you know, at the end of this anyway, it's going to be kind of a reboot for the DCU. So it, does it make any difference which version of the Justice League it's going to slot in with? No. And all the all the Snyder fans out there are saying they're going to boycott the film anyway. So what does it matter to them? Yeah. As you can imagine, they're all getting upset online that it's now saying, oh, it's nothing to do with Jack Snyder's Justice League. It's like, well, you're not going to watch it. Just walk on. Walk on. <laughs> Why can't they just walk away? I'm, I'm going to jump in there, Andy, and just give you some breaking news. James Gunn has confirmed the Superman legacy is now in pre-production. Yay! Oh, there was an amusing uh, fake discussing film account yesterday on Twitter. Uh, there's these pop up every now and then with like Twitter names like disgusting film or disboosting film. And it catches so many people off guard. But um, the, the fake one they spread yesterday was Michael Sarah who's going to be playing Superman in Superman Legacy. And so many people fell for it. And I was in hysterics. <laughs> Over to Star Trek world, because there's a lot happening with Star Trek, especially with Picard okay. coming to an end. And fan base have really rallied around how this final season of Picard has played out and everyone's clamoring for more Trek. Well, Strange New World season two trailer dropped uh, to tease us. And Jonathan Frakes has been speaking about an upcoming crossover episode that he's directed of Strange New Worlds, which crosses over with Star Trek Lower Decks, okay. the animated show. Mariner and Boimler happen to cross over from their animated world into the ship with, with Anson as Pike and Rebecca as number one and Ethan as Spock on Strange New Worlds. And it's a flat out comedy episode. It's fabulous. It's a fish out of water. Fortunately, both Quaid and Tawny look like their characters. So it's so absurd to see them in three dimensions and their interrelations. Boimler is obsessed with Spock and terrified of number one. So much good stuff. And Mariner comes to save the day. It's very, very funny. I'm very proud of it. And I can't wait for people to see it. And I am so on board with it. Every time like a sci-fi show does these kind of like ridiculous, jokey side stories, you always think, is this going to work? And it does. Farscape did the animated episode, which was a brilliant episode. Buffy the Vampire Slayer did the musical episode. Yeah, I love that. So never yeah, write off it. something which sounds like a daft concept because... I love Lower Decks for the comedy, humour and animated style. And I, I so want to see like New Worlds have fun with this kind of concept. It's going to be going to be a fun episode. And it's Jonathan Frakes directing. Come on. The guy's a legend. Can I guess your next story? Is it the Michelle Yeoh story? It is indeed. Let's be honest. This would have come as no surprise to anyone in the Star Trek fan base, especially after all the awards heavy attention that she was getting for everything everywhere all at once. But she has finally been confirmed to be reprising her role as Philippa Georgiou for a Section 31 original movie for Paramount+. Plus. It's one of many movies that they're going to be working on which they're calling movie events when it goes straight onto Paramount+. Plus. For those who don't know who Section 31 are, you clearly don't watch Star Trek. Uh, they're the secret division of Starfleet who are tasked with protecting the Federation at any cost. They're basically black ops and deep cover agencies. Georgiou is facing the sins of her past as the former Mirror Universe Emperor as she undertakes shadowy tasks for 31. And in a statement, Yoa said, I'm beyond thrilled to return to my Star Trek family and to the role I've loved for so long. Section 31 has been near and dear to my heart since I began the journey of playing Philippa all the way back when this new golden age of Star Trek launched. To see her finally get her moment as a dream come true in a year that showed me the incredible power of never giving up on your dreams. Her character of Georgia was magnificent. Even people who didn't particularly like Discovery loved what she brought to it. Yeah. So I think this is another one of the shows that most of the fan base... I have seen some negative people saying, who wants a series uh, Section 31 show? Five years ago, everyone wanted a Section 31 show. In fact, 20 years ago, 
when Section 31 were first hinted at in like your next generation Deep Space Nine Voyager era, people were like saying, oh, that sounds like interesting. Now it's getting greenlit. Now all the negative people are creeping out the woodwork. Because of course they do. This is fandom. Not quite Star Trek, but if Star Trek isn't your thing, but you love little comedy homages to it, Paramount Plus have also confirmed a live action TV series of Galaxy Quest has been greenlit. Again, because this was greenlit once before over Amazon. Uh, and then that disappeared. So I'm guessing we are getting, well, it, it is a purely guess. Are we getting a Galaxy Quest TV series, which is Galaxy Quest? Or, or are we getting Galaxy Quest <laughs> behind the scenes of, Gal- I, you, you see where I'm going with Yeah, this. is it going to be the fictional in-universe Galaxy Quest TV series, similar to the Orville? Or is it going to be aging actors who used to play the characters on Galaxy Quest getting drawn into this, yeah. Is it going to emulate the film or is it going to be the film within the film? Uh, the project is still in early development, so we don't know. A writer is currently being sought to work with Mark Johnson, who was behind Breaking Bad, who executive produced the film and returns for the series through his Grand Via Productions label. Paramount TV Studios attempted initially to develop a new take on this back in 2015, which was sold to Amazon and had the film's original writer, Robert Gordon, attached to pen the script. But that one stalled in development, the passing of Alan Rickman. And um, Tim Allen's busy schedule impacted the chances of that to move forward. But now it's coming back with a whole new interpretation. We don't know if any of the old characters will return or whether there's going to be a whole new take. We'll wait and see. But I'm I'm quite excited because I did love Galaxy Quest. Oh, yeah. Have we deep dived it? We haven't, have we? We should do. I'll add that onto the list. Other TV shows, Twilight is getting a TV series. Okay, moving on. (laughs) I mean... This is going to be a thing now because Harry Potter got announced a couple of weeks ago. Now we've got Twilight. What other franchises that are less than 20 years old are they going to bring back in a TV show? There's a Twitter question for one week, isn't there? Yes. Gremlins. Warner Brothers Discovery has announced May the 23rd, 2023. It's not that far away. As the premiere date for its animated family adventure series, Gremlins Secret of the Mogwai, which serves as a prequel to the original films. Uh, the series takes place in 20s Shanghai follows the Wing family as it first meets the young Mogwai that eventually becomes to be known as Gizmo. Over at Disney+, Plus, there is the man behind the myths, the catchphrases, the cameos, the co-creations. Yes, I did say co-creations. There's a Stan Lee documentary coming to Disney Plus this summer. I'm hoping it's not just a fluff piece because I've read a lot of biographies and also his own autobiography. And he wasn't always a really good man. So I'm hoping that it does actually touch on some of his more controversial elements with his power playing within the comic book industry. I don't want it yeah. to be a fluff piece. I'm guessing it's on Disney Plus that it will be. Be a shame. Because uh, you know, I, I still have huge love for everything that Stan Lee did. And I still wished that I would have had a chance to meet the guy. He still meant yeah, a lot me to me through growing up. But you can acknowledge that even your heroes have flaws. And I think that a good documentary should acknowledge when heroes have flaws. Um, the Sonic the Hedgehog movies, I've got a live action TV series spin-off called Knuckles, and it now has a full cast lineup. Idris Elba will be voicing the Knuckles character again, as he did in Sonic the Hedgehog 2, and he's being joined by Happy Endings star Adam Pally, reprising his role of Wade Whipple from the films. The show's events are going to take place between the second and the upcoming third film, which is due out Christmas 2024, and we'll see Knuckles agreeing to train Wade as his protege and teach him the ways of the Echidna Warrior. Edie Patterson from The Righteous Gemstones, Julian Barrett, Mindhorn, Scott Mascudi, Don't Look Up, and Ellie Taylor, Ted Lasso, will recur in the series, whilst Rory McCann from Game of Thrones will guest star. 
In addition, Tika Sumter will reprise her role as Maddie from the films, and additional casting is set to be announced at a later date. Production on the series is now underway in London, with John Whittington serving as head writer and executive producer on the series. And Brian Shater and James Madeski are also writing. There's been a little bit of Doctor Who news this week. We know most of Doctor Who is under wraps as we await the 60th anniversary episode uh, from Russell T Davis with the return of David Tennant and Catherine Tate. But we also know that the Disney Plus money looks like it's been spent in all the right places. First up, we got the new Doctor, played by Shuti Gatwa, will be facing off with a villain played by RuPaul's drag race champ, Jix Monsoon, which has appeared with some photos this week. And then we got um, because the Doctor can't resist going back in time, uh, the Doctor and his new companion, Ruby, arriving in the swinging 60s with both characters decked out suitably in 1960s clothing. So it looks like this Disney Plus money is going to give us bigger sets, bigger special effects and a bigger wardrobe department. Doesn't Shooty look amazing in that dapper 60s suit with the side? Yes, I'm looking at it right now. Oh, that, that photo has just straight away made me go, I think Shooty Gatwa is going to be one of my favourite Doctors at this rate. Looks very cool. Can't wait. Teased for years, but never came to a head. The third entry in Guy Ritchie's Sherlock Holmes franchise looks to be stumbling forward. Stumbling, yeah. It's taken many years for this to happen. Yep. The Robert Downey Jr. and Jude Law-led films were released in 2009 and 2011, and both of them were well-received and earned a decent amount of money worldwide. The first one was great. Warners came close with a third one announced in 2018 for a late 2020 release. But then there was delays and the pandemic seemed to squash any chances of it going into production. But um, Susan Downey, Robert Downey Jr.'s wife and producing partner, confirmed to The Wrap this week that whilst the sequel isn't currently in development, it is still a priority for the actor. Here's what I can tell you. And Amanda Burrell, the producing partner, can attest to this. Prior to this, we had lunch together with Robert, the three of us, and it was a very specific topic of conversation. So, yes, it's in the hopper. We're going to do it when it's right with the right people. But it is a priority for the company and a priority for Robert. And she adds that the three of them are people who really push, push, push for projects to get made. Whilst it's not greenlit into production, it looks like it's pretty high on Downey Jr.'s agenda to force this to get made. And I think it would be great to have one more film. We don't need a whole running franchise, but it'd be nice to have one more return to that Sherlock Holmes world. Yeah, they were a lot of fun. I, I, as I said, I especially love the first one. first one's so good. Mark Strong is magnificent in it. Mark Strong's magnificent in everything, but he's particularly good in that. Round off with a little bit of quick news. So Will Ferrell's Gloria Sanchez Productions and T Street are teaming up to develop a comedy TV series that will be a Will Ferrell starring vehicle produced by Ryan Johnson. The series will revolve around a professional golfer who becomes the face of a controversial new league competing with the PGA. The synopsis has already drawn parallels to the controversial Live Golf, the Saudi Arabia-backed professional golf tour that launched last year. And it's said to have a similar tone to things like Talladega Nights and Blades of Glory and will mark the first comedy series that Ferrell has long-term committed to. Mortal Kombat 2, filming has been announced to be running this summer between June and September. So looking forward to that film next year. Animal Friends, Ryan Reynolds, Jason Momoa, Vince Vaughn and Aubrey Plaza have all scored roles in the R-rated road trip adventure Animal Friends for Prime Focus Studios, Maximum Effort, Legendary and Lionsgate in a project that combines live action and animated characters. Story details are under wraps, but Ryan Reynolds and Jason Momoa on screen together, that's got to be charmingly fun. And sadly, before we go, we have to uh, talk about the sad passing of the great Barry Humphreys. 
CBE, who passed away this week. He was an Australian comedian, actor, author and satirist, best known for his writings and probably best known for playing the incredibly over-the-top Dame Edna Everidge. But that wasn't the only character uh, Barry Humphreys was known for. Whilst it's easy to recognise the Dame Edna character, but he also played Sir Les Patterson another one of his long-term characters, but had numerous roles in a variety of films throughout the decades. We're looking at the original Bedazzled. We're looking at the, well, let's, it wasn't particularly good, but Shock Treatments, the uh, somewhat... Yeah, the Rocky Horror. Rocky Horror. Yeah. Immortal Beloved, Nicholas Nickleby, Spice World, Mary and Max. He popped up in Hobbit on Unexpected Journey. But most modern audiences will know him by voice more than anything else thanks to his role in finding nemo as bruce the great white shark he did play celeste patterson in film on les patterson saves the world and he also played dame edna in film as well and we can only say for those of us of a certain age he was a tv regular and when he mm. appeared it was always always a joy find him on a chat show as one of his characters he would be absolutely he'd leave you in in hysterics worth searching on youtube for dame edna jr ewing the larry hagman interview because she famous like she famously as he walks out at the top of the stairwell, all like, way, look at me, I'm great. Pulls the lever and he falls through a trap door. Hilarious. <laughs> Just like, I'm not having someone upstaging me. No, no, he's off. <laughs> uh, yeah, those of us of a certain age, particularly in Britain, where Dame Edna was everywhere at one point, have such a fondness for that character. A Absolutely. great, a great personality. Passed away, age of 89, leaving behind quite a solid legacy. And that's this week's The News. <laughs> Andy, yes. we say this every week, but there's still some people who aren't signing on to the podcast. I mean, why not is, is the first question I ask. Are they scared? I don't know. Uh, like, we're, not, we're not that threatening. We're very nice people. You want to hear us in your ear every week because, you know, I like to hear, hear us in my ear every week. I've got used to the sound of my own voice, so why can't you get used to it and just enjoy our fun chat, our wacky escapades, or just tune in for our reviews each week because we always pick a what we consider a decent selection of three films to look at as well as our deep dive each week how are you going to know what's worth seeing at the box office and what isn't if you're not going to listen because you to trust us these you really people? really do trust us because you know that if we don't like something we'll explain why we don't and maybe you will enjoy it as well so just hit that subscription button make sure that you can check us out every week all you have to do go onto your favorite podcast platform click on the subscribe button click on a like leave us a comment leave us a review anything that you want to do because every one of your little likes makes my heart flutter that little bit more and then if you want to get in touch with us chat with us ask us a question you can find us across all of the socials we're on facebook we're on twitter you name it we're there get in touch talk about films because that's why we're here to talk about geeky film stuff and now it's time for this week's deep dive 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 this week, we're talking about an American classic. For some, one of the greatest movies ever made. We are, in fact, talking about 1980s biographical sports drama directed by Martin Scorsese, starring at his height, Robert De Niro. Yes, Raging Bull. The Bronx Bull, the Raging Bull. Let's hear for the great Jake LaMotta, ladies and gentlemen. I'm the best. I can take him more than anybody. You're dead. You're married. Leave the young girls for me. There's no way I'm going down. I don't go down for nobody. 
So there's not a lot new to say about this film because this film has been discussed. There have been documentaries about it. There have been books written on it. It's been classed as one of the greatest films of the 1980s. Probably for some, Martin Scorsese's best work. For some, Robert De Niro's best performance ever. Raging Bull. It was nominated for eight Academy Awards at the 53rd Academy Awards, tying with The Elephant Man as the most nominated film at that ceremony which included Best Picture, Best Director. It won two for Best Actor and Best Editing. It went on to huge amounts of critical praise. It's a film that deserves to be seen on the big screen, which, strangely enough, I haven't. I've seen it on a showing, on a small screen, and I've seen it on, on TV. But it is a piece of American filmmaking iconography. It tells a story of Jake LaMotta, a true-life story of a, a boxer who, in his personal life, well, is a bit of a monster. Raging Bull came about when De Niro read the autobiography in which the film's based while he was on the set of The Godfather Part Two, and spent many years trying to get it made. In fact, Scorsese repeatedly turned it down because he, he wasn't a sports fan. Andy, is this one of the greatest films of all time? Well, I can safely say that I don't love this film for nostalgic reasons of it watching it at a, a certain age. Because I didn't watch this for the first time until about three years ago. Oh, okay. So I came to this film very late after having heard so much praise about it. And so there was the risk that it wouldn't live up to what people have said about it. I knew moments of the film. I'd seen clips of it on documentaries, etc. But I'd never found a reason to sit and watch it. So when I sat and watched it a few years ago, it immediately became a four and a half star film for me. Because yes it really does deserve the praise that it gets. It's not just any one thing that gives you that praise. We all know that it is considered De Niro's best performance of all time as Lamotta, and his performance is nothing short of astounding. He's flawlessly playing a very complex character. A very unlikable character. Yeah. Ultimately. This is a film that I... Now, it's, inter it's interesting that we've been re-showing it in the cinema because I've caught audience opinions as they've been coming out. And there's people who've never seen it and were going in expecting a certain kind of film. And it didn't perform very well at the box office on its initial release as well. And I think for very similar reasons, because people are trying to compare this to Rocky or Creed or the boxing films. And it's very much not. It might be a film that has boxing, but it's not it's not a boxing movie. It's a character study of a flawed and complex individual and a meditation on the destructive power of jealousy and self-loathing. It's almost a, a, a metaphor, is, is boxing within yeah. this film, of somebody constantly beating and getting beaten as they go through life, because ultimately this is a, a really painful film mm. to watch. Uh, it, it, I mean, it's a powerful film, and you're right about De Niro's performance. It is it is the finest role of his of his acting career. It's and flawless. It's, uh, and, and it's a legend that he, he how much weight he put on and how much weight he lost to play LaMotta. But you're right. It while while boxing's the heart of it, it's about this very very tortured and and, and terrible individual. And and it's a character study all the way through. A couple of the, the customers who were leaving were chatting amongst themselves, and one of them just went like. Oh, well, that wasn't what I thought it would be. Uh, I'm not sure how I feel about it. And I completely get that. 
Because if you're going into something like Raging Bull, expecting a Rocky rags to riches kind of boxing tale, you're in for a bit of a shock because this is a real life story about someone who wasn't a nice character. Famously, uh, Jake LaMotta, when he saw the movie, broke down in tears and realised for the first time exactly what a terrible person he'd been. And he asked the real Vicky LaMotta, was I really like that? And she replied, you were worse which makes you wonder exactly how bad he was in real life because how he's portrayed on screen, he is not, not a likeable man at all. He is a thug. He is a bully. He is an absolute lowest ebb of human nature, basically. Yeah, he's loathsome. He is absolutely loathsome. The, how he treats his friends, how he treats his, his brother, how he treats his wife. He is a, a monster. And, and they're not a ever afraid to shy away from that mm. he's not held up in any kind of, of light as being somebody who you've got to feel sympathy for you, there's never that moment where you go you know what despite all the beatings and despite the fact <laughs> he was an absolute rat he had a heart of gold not in this no, film no. he is a monster and De Niro's not afraid of going deep on this and the fact that he portrays LaMotta in, in various stages of his career, his, his boxing career when he's lean and he's fit. In fact, De Niro boxed uh, a couple of middleweight matches mm -hmm. and he was and he proved to be a, a really good boxer. Him, he, he, he won them, yeah. <laughs> um, but he then goes on to gain all this extra weight, 60 pounds to portray uh, LaMotta in his, his later post-boxing years and at never any point do we come away going, yeah, he was a torture a genius no the man is the man was an animal yeah. and that makes it compelling because that's the kind of filmmaking that we don't have anymore we want our uh, lead characters to be redeemable and he isn't he never is in this film we uh we take away the the, the glamour of, of boxing we take away the i mean the, the fight scenes are in incredibly amazingly shot edited and choreographed but we never get to like LaMotta no Scorsese's approach to making this film I mean this is a film that came he expected it to be his final film that he'd ever make he was, going, right, he was yeah. going to give it deliver it as his legacy to the world because he just had a huge flop with New York New York which sent him into a drug-fueled almost suicidal state Every time that De Niro had said to him, it was like, you should make this, this is up your alley. He just saw the sport elements and just thought, I'm not interested. But then when he read Lamotta's story, he saw something to tag onto. And then he saw the brutality of actual boxing matches. And his lasting impression of watching an actual boxing match was the streaks of blood running down a fighter's back. And he thought, why do people enjoy this? And so he wanted to get the brutality, but he didn't want it to be about the brutality. So he chose to make it in black and white. To not only reflect the time period it's set in, but also so that the blood doesn't look so distasteful to him and it can look somewhat artistic. And his direction is masterful. He expertly uses the camera to convey tensions and brutality of the fights, but the quieter moments of introspection, which reveal the troubled psyche of Lamotta, are what the pure essence of the film is about. The slow motion stylized visuals is particularly effective. He didn't want to use multi-camera setups. And so everything was choreographed and a lot of the punches that are landing were real. There was a lot of real brutality going on. De Niro's fake prosthetic nose was packed with fake blood so that he could get slammed in the face and proper blood spray would come out. Everything was done as close to real as possible. And there was quite a few injuries on set as a result. Pesci got broken ribs at yep. one point in the film and we've mentioned robert de niro's performance in this we've mentioned like it's it's a masterful performance but we can't ignore joe pesci in what was his first big role because he was 
he was an actor who basically given up by that point because he wasn't getting any roles in anything. That's right. He, he kicked it into touch. He, he basically said, "I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna work as an actor anymore." It just wasn't working for him. It was the mm. fact that uh, De Niro had seen him and wanted him in the film. And Scorsese likes to st- like to stack his films with people who'd not really been found. And with it being his lasting legacy that he was going to make, and that would be his last film, it's quite interesting that it's basically the film that reignited Scorsese's career, but also sparked life into Joe Pesci's career, which the pair of them worked together on a few films after that. And they've, they've both gone on to... If you say now, in this day and age, oh, Scorsese was a, was a failed director, people would laugh at you. Yes. Um, and the same with Joe Pesci. Oh, Joe Pesci was a nobody. How? How was Joe Pesci nobody? And he's marvellous as Lamota's brother. And there's the scene where they were like punch, the, the punch me scene. And those punches were real. And this is how Scorsese wanted to approach it, is he wanted every... He didn't want it to be cutaways. He didn't want it to look like soft taps. He wanted it to look brutal because it is a film about a brutal and horrible thuggish character. I've got to mention Kathy Moriarty in this, hmm. who was only at that point. She plays... Lamotta's second wife, and a really interesting story. Uh, Pesci had seen her from a picture he once saw at a, a New Jersey disco, and both De Niro and Scorsese believed that Moriarty, who was then 18, could portray the role after meeting with her on, on a couple of occasions, noticing that she had this sort of physical maturity, she had this, this smoky, husky voice, uh, and also her resemblance to the real Vicky Lamotta. She'd never acted before, uh, and uh, they took her into a screen test, and apparently, well, clearly she was incredible as she managed to do some improvised work with De Niro. They persuaded uh, the studio to take a, a punt on her, and she is phenomenal. She just proved that she could stand up to the acting talents of both Joe Pesci and, and De Niro on screen. It's, it's a remarkable performance, and, and often, sadly, I think, overlooked uh, because of how good De Niro is in this film. Overall, this is, uh, I'd say it it deserves the title of cinematic masterpiece and it does deserve to be seen on the biggest and best screen that you can find. The 4K restoration, I popped my head into the screen this week to see how it looks and it looks amazing. So I'm going to be picking up the home release of the 4K restoration at some point to add this to my collection. A film that I've only recently discovered. I've now watched it three times since I discovered it and it's just a powerful and unforgettable portrait of a man and a sport that captivates and destroys. But there's controversy around this film at the moment, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, I've read a few reviews for it and a little bit like the comments that you've heard that this film, this film is, is apart from being a masterpiece, is a time capsule to filmmaking at probably its its highest when it came to director-led movies. Uh, And as you said, if you're going in to watch a movie expecting Rocky, expecting Creed, this is a film about violence and a violent man. And that violence overspills on more than one occasion into his personal life. And as we said, Lamotta is a monster. We, we, we can't ignore the fact he's utterly, utterly unlikable. Mm. And it's a very, very, it's a very strong filmmaker who can make a compelling two hour plus movie about somebody who is utterly utterly unlikable but i have read you know his his treatment of women it, it is absolutely dreadful he was awful to his his second wife but that's the way it plays out now if you go in expecting a a character to be to be redeemable it's not going to happen if you're going to see somebody being dreadful and violent to women let alone 
people in his life, then don't be afraid that this is a very, very brutal film on every level, let alone the boxing scenes, the, the personal scenes, one particular scene with Joe Pesci, which is incredibly damaging. But don't be afraid. Don't criticize this film for what it, it tackles. Criticize it on the fact of if you if you must and what kind of a film it is, but not over the fact of how clearly it represents these characters. And yes, you can make films about dreadful people. I want to finish what I'm saying with just mentioning the the closing scene with him talking to the mirror. That I could have been a contender monologue is one of the best monologues ever committed to film. Yeah, uh, they did numerous takes. Apparently, went for the thirteenth take, and it just proves. A, that Lamotta, as a boxer, was a violent, insecure, obsessive character. As an actor, it just proved how dynamic, how incredible, and at that point in, in his career, the greatest actor in the world, Robert De Niro, was. If you want to see it, you can catch it on a limited release, but also you can get the Criterion 4K restored version. Or you can rent it from any of online services, or if you subscribe to MGM streaming service, it's on there for no extra charge. And now it's time for this week's reviews. So actually, Andy, this week we both have two films to review together. Do we? We're going to be talking about Evil Dead Rises, the latest of the Evil Dead movies. You're going to be talking about a film that I really want to watch. Three Musketeers, D'Artagnan. The Three Musketeers, D'Artagnan, indeed. Uh, but we're also going to be talking about Apple TV's Ghosted. I'll just hang on. You'll see. She ghosted him. I'm going to London. Where am I? Can you walk, Gold? Who are you? CIA. Oh my God! I want her alive. I'm the boyfriend. So this landed this week on Apple TV. Uh, it stars Chris Evans, Anna de Armas, directed by Dexter Flesher, uh, and the story is. Cole, played by Chris Evans, a farmer, meets a supposed art curator, Sadie, falls head over heels in love for her, and why not? It's Anna de Armas. But he's an all-star romantic, and he decides to keep texting her, and suddenly realizes she's ignoring his text. In fact, he believes that she is ghosting him, hence the title. Decides to make a massive romantic gesture, follows her to London, where he knows she is, only to discover, yep, she's that kind of girlfriend. She's an international spy. That old chestnut, eh? Happens all the time. This landed on Apple TV+, and watching it, it gave me memories of things like Red Notice. Yeah, absolutely. First thing I would have gone to on that one. There's a few sins of modern-day action films, particularly those ones made for streaming, that I need to just get off my chest. The first is they always drag out for far too long, and they outstay their welcome. The second is drone cam shots, I am fed up of drone cams being used in action films. It does not look good. It looks ultra clear and doesn't have any, any grading on it. It just looks like you've got a drone. You shouldn't make me realise what cameras you're using. You should be fluid in everything that you're doing and making a film. And the third sin is fun, quick cameos by A-list celebrities in witty action moments. No matter who it is and I'm not going to spoil who the cameos are, but one of them you would think that I would go, yay, but I just groaned because I am fed up of seeing them shoehorn in faces just so you can go, oh, that's him who worked with them in that. Oh, that's that. That's him who worked with that. This is everything that is wrong with modern day action films in an essence, but it's not completely terrible because no, there's something it, about it, the two not. leads that keep me charmed. 
Anna Diarmas and Chris Evans are immensely likable and they held it together for me. But Andy, did you not think for a film that was, they keep telling about, hey guys, get a room, can't you see the chemistry? I didn't think they had any. I mean, I think individually, I mean, Chris Evans playing sort of against type, which was maybe part of the problem with it, because you know that you look at Chris Evans and doesn't seem a guy who uh, who will play that kind of he, he just felt miscast he mm. uh, needed somebody a bit more dweebier but i didn't feel as though no matter how gorgeous both leads are and how how much charisma they have on screen they fundamentally lacked yeah. that kind of sexual chemistry despite being told constantly that they were there was no feeling that at any point after the end of this film that relationship would last because yeah it was a casual fling and nothing more and you don't get any feeling that there's anything more there but it was the likability of the two stars and their own individual presences that entertained me but did it entertain me for the whole runtime no i've got to agree did it help me by the end think oh yeah well that happened no i've got no recollection of any particular moment in the film or any reason for the film existing glad to know it wasn't just me yeah it's... glad to know it wasn't just me i i wouldn't have i, I got up to get something and i and i thought i, I don't need to pause it yeah because i know i'm gonna know where i'm gonna come come straight back into because of the drone cam usage as well on far too many moments it doesn't particularly look great on the action sequences it just felt underwhelming I gave it two and a half stars purely because it got an extra star because each of those stars are very likable. But this is a lacklustre effort from Apple TV and I expected better. This is what I would have expected to come from, from Netflix, given Netflix's history of action films being so generic and bland. But this is generic and bland to the extreme. And it's extremely disappointing. I've got to agree with everything that you said. The cameos were annoying uh, to the point where uh, they paid homage to, without giving anything away, Chris Evans' previous career yeah. in a certain franchises. But I, and Ada Diarmas, I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing her in the ballerina. I mean, mm. if you remember when, when she pops up in the last Bond film, there was that kind of sense that uh, you know that character she played would be worthy of an offshoot. If this film is the offshoot of that character, I'm looking forward to the ballerina. This is Dexter Fletcher as well directing, who gave us Eddie the Eagle, who gave us Rocket Man. And yet, I don't know, is this the same Dexter Fletcher? Has he got a clone that just has forgotten how to direct? I, I don't know. Something's gone wrong because all the names involved in the making of this film should have made it something special. Yeah, got to agree entirely. But instead, it's just disposable fluff and nothing more a, an interesting idea which has been done so many times before and better and looking at you mr and mrs smith yep sadly this film while enjoyable and will pass a couple of hours you will turn off and forget yeah completely completely a forgettable fast food of a movie yeah andy tell us about a film that you know i'm desperate to see tell us about the three musketeers Alexandre Dumas' masterpiece. As you have never seen it before. The Three Musketeers, in cinemas April 21st. One of the most adapted works of literature to film, Alexandre Dumas's novel is given a new lease of life through the eye of director Martin Bouillon. As a story I've loved since an early age and having seen pretty much every adaptation to date, there's little to surprise me in this new version of the tale. However, that let me simply sit back and appreciate the journey it took me on. 
For those who don't know the tale, D'Artagnan, a young man from Gascony, sets off to Paris with desire to become one of the famous musketeers of the guard, following in his father's footsteps. Befriending three musketeers, albeit after initially challenging each of them to duels, Porthos, Athos and Aramis, he becomes embroiled in a political conspiracy that threatens King Louis XIII, which is orchestrated by the devious Cardinal Richelieu and played out by the mysterious Milady de Winter. This is a tale of action, adventure and intrigue that has thrilled generations for almost 200 years. And with this film merely following in the footsteps of many adaptations before it, what exactly does it offer to make it stand out? Well, certainly the favourite moments of the tale are delivered as expected, albeit with some excellent flourish. The three-man duel interrupted by the Cardinal's guards, for example. But the manner in which these familiar moments are presented lift the film above most of the previous adaptations. The locations, the sets and the costumes are lavish and varied, portraying a France that's filled with opulence and poverty in equal measure, with the wealth divide being separated by a gaping chasm. It feels a very real, grounded world, where it'd be easy to believe that a city is ready for revolution to overthrow the king. The cast are marvellous throughout. Francois Civil plays D'Artagnan with charm and ego perfectly, and certainly delivers in the action moments with some glorious sword and gunplay. The Musketeers themselves are played well by Roman Duras, P.O. Marmel, and best of all, Vincent Cassell, who imbues new life into the complexities of Athos, here having some small changes to his role over previous versions, but serving the wider story well. Eva Green is cold and calculating as Milady de Winter, lighting up the screen with menace each moment she appears. Eric Roof doesn't do much as Richelieu, but his machinations are felt throughout, and certainly we should expect to see more in the second part later this year. With a few neat changes to the tale, but nothing that feels like it deviates from the authenticity of it all, this adaptation ranks highly for me as a fan of the material, and indeed it possibly is going to become my favourite adaptation to date. The ambush by the Cardinal's guard scene alone was a moment in the film that I realised I was watching something special. A single take style which swirls around the fight following each of the leads in turn, letting us see them fighting as individuals, but then bonding as a team at the same time. Gloriously lavish, Three Musketeers D'Artagnan is cinematic adventure done right. So the clips I've seen of this, it has a, an almost Ridley Scott kind of approach to it. So it looks like a modern film. Mm. Uh, and of course, they are taking a big punt by doing what Richard Lester did and cutting the film into two. I, I'm, I'm desperate to see. It. Is it on a, a limited release, Andy? It's on wide release in the UK, but it is a limited interest film because of it being foreign language and so many people being averse to subtitles that I don't think it will stay at all cinemas for much longer. I think that by the time Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 comes out, this will have vanished. So get it watched before it comes off your local cinema. And then finally, we saw this together, a late night screening. Uh, I had my teddy and my uh, pillow ready just in case. And this is the fifth in the Evil Dead series. This is Evil Dead Rise. This what happened to Paul. It happened to us. I'm free now. Money's worth the maggots now. I'm getting this out of here. You'd be a good mom someday. Oh, yeah? You know how to lie to kids. Directed by Irish filmmaker Lee Cronin, a reunion between two sisters, Beth, played by Lily Sullivan, and Ellie, Alicia Sutherland, is interrupted, sadly, by an earthquake in Los Angeles. Under the decaying tower block where they live, there is uncovered a mysterious book in the depths of the building's basement. 
Sadly, little do they know, but we know that it's going to unleash an evil force that wants to literally carve their family apart. So it's four decades since the original Evil Dead came, directed by Sam Raimi. It's one of those films that entered into legend, especially in this country with the video nasties, uh, of which it, uh, it was high on the list. It made a big star out of Sam Raimi and its star Bruce Campbell. And this time the film sort of resets itself away from the cabin in the woods to a Los Angeles tower block. Is it scary? Uh, yeah, I actually found it really scary and I found it really intense. It is a kind of, for me, a bit of a an Evil Dead greatest hits, but in a, a slightly different setting. Reminded me of, do you remember the Demons movies? Mm. It reminded me of Demons 2, um, mm. and, and that's a real throwback. Uh, it's directed by Lee Cronin, who previously directed the 2019 Chiller, which I saw on Netflix, The Hole in the Ground. And this is a filmmaker who has an amazing visual style and the right visual style to fit into the Evil Dead series. I liked it. I thought it was good to see a horror movie that was genuinely, genuinely a little bit sick <laughs> and a little bit scary and worked well into that kind of exploitative, claustrophobic setting. But I did have problems. I didn't find myself scared by it. Oh, didn't you? I felt that it was relentless and oppressive, but nothing actually, for me, horror gets into the back of my mind and plays with my psyche. And I don't feel that this did because all that it was doing, and you've said the word greatest hits, it felt like a greatest hits compilation. It nodded constantly to moments seen in the earlier films, particularly Evil Dead 2, which this film follows a very similar structure to and even uses some very similar camera moments and scenic elements, you know, from camera tilts, different lenses. It felt just like it was going, oh, remember Evil Dead 2? And just in case you don't get it from the visual style uh, from time to time, there's lines of dialogue from Evil Dead 2 that are shoehorned in. And the result of it was that I wasn't getting scared because I knew what was going to happen and I knew where it was going to be going. And at the same time, I was being reminded constantly of how good Evil Dead 2 is. And so this film couldn't break free of that. And it was stuck in the shadow of just being oh, a nostalgia berry of an earlier franchise. The Total Recall remake made the same mistake. It referenced the original adaptation so much that it makes you remember how much you love the original adaptation and made me wish I was watching that original version instead. And I feel that this suffers from trying desperately to be an Evil Dead film by overplaying the links to Evil Dead to make you realise that it's actually a substandard Evil Dead film. As a generic horror, yes, it ticks the boxes. But as an Evil Dead, there's only a few moments that really stood out as like being something a bit clever and a bit different. The last 10 minutes redeems the film somewhat by giving us something new to the Evil Dead franchise. But up until that last 10 minutes, it all felt very generic, predictable, and didn't chill me. I, I've got to agree. I think, and I said to you after we'd seen it, the last act is when it became interesting for me. It is an incredibly visceral film, using some practical and some CGI elements to it, which I, which I did like. Mm. Uh, what I found was uh, that it, it just kept banging me over the head without me catching breath. Now, some great horror movies should do that, but they should also exactly like a roller coaster ride, take you up, then drop you down just in time for the next climb. And, and yeah. I felt that this worked on this, and you use the word oppressive, this oppressive beat all the time where it didn't let up. And so even though they were cranking up the tension, I found that to the point of becoming tiresome 
uh, I needed moments to catch my breath to then go, wow, here's the next big hit. Because we we know it's in our DNA when we go and see a horror movie that, that those kind of beats are what we look for. Yeah. But this felt, uh, this felt I was being bludgeoned all the time and I needed a, a respite because I was getting, I was getting bored by constantly being bludgeoned by the next big thing. And they came, they just kept hitting me in the face constantly, a little bit like a, a Sam Raimi. Bruce Campbell moment, but yeah. I needed a break from it to then build up to the massive chill and the next big scare. So it was a case of of not what happens next. It was a, always a case of how it's going to happen next. Uh, what camera tricks is Cronin going to do? And, and Cronin can clearly, clearly direct a horror movie and knows how to channel his inner Sam Raimi. I think I preferred the Fede Alvarez version yeah. to this. I'm with you on that. The Fede Alvarez version, all of the characters I cared for, all the characters I got behind, and it chilled me, it disturbed me. And it still did really over-the-top sickly violence, but it had some breathing moments, which this film doesn't. I do want to point out Lily Sull Sullivan playing Beth is absolutely magnificent. Oh, absolutely. I was just about to mention the cast. Um, I thought the cast were great, and especially Alicia Sutherland's totally unhinged performance. Yeah. Talk about uh, an actor throwing themselves completely into it. But yeah, Lily Sullivan, uh, that one time, uh, she's Ripley, uh, yeah. she is Ash, uh, and she is her own character as well, with her own determinations, and a very, very personal determination of why she has to get this. Yeah, I, it was um, it was good to see a horror movie that was brutal uh, and that, that was savage. But I also found it, as I said, ultimately oppressive. For those who want to know whether there's a Bruce Campbell cameo, there's a voice cameo. Yes. On Can one of the records. It? That's all we're going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but keep a listen out when the records are getting played. I didn't dislike the film overall. As a generic horror, yeah, it ticks all the boxes that you need. But for me, the letdown was that it didn't feel that it sat right as an Evil Dead film because it was trying desperately to feel like an Evil Dead film. I think if they had have let up a bit on the references and nods to earlier films, it probably would have had its own room to breathe and step out the shadow. It does excite me for the future of the Evil Dead franchise because it's doing well at the box office. And I do think there's potential to tell loads of stories in different environments. I loved the idea of moving it to a high rise block. I yeah. just wish they had done done it without constantly referencing the cabin in the woods yeah interestingly enough this started out as a hbo film but the uh, word of mouth was so good that it made a cinema release and let's hope there are more and more interesting and please if you are going to do more evil dead movies bring back the humor because this film this film liked that that humor which i really liked uh, that that Raimi delivers. Yeah. Not that it should always be slapstick, but the dark humour is part of, of what Evil Dead's about. Anyway, Andy, yeah. what's coming up in the next week? At cinemas, The Unlikely Pilgrimage of Harold Frylands, Polite Society, which I only saw the trailer of the other day and was actually thinking, eh, that actually looks all right. Also releases. A documentary Big George Foreman comes out and Little Richard, I Am Everything. And then, of course, on Wednesday, the 3rd of May, Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 3. Over on Now TV and Sky, A Good Person Lands, which is a Sky original. However, it is directed by Zach Braff and stars Florence Pugh, so I think I'm going to be watching this one. Okay. And also, I spoke about it last year, Piggy, lands on Now TV and Sky, well worth a watch. Netflix sees Sweet Tooth Season 2, Ooh, so here's my chance to catch up with Sweet Tooth, <laughs> eh? And over on Disney+, Plus, Peter Pan and Wendy arrives, probably underwhelmingly, but I'll give it a shot and see what it's like. That's about it for this week. But of course, before we go, we're going to tell you about our neat things. That's stuff that you and I have enjoyed, whether it's a meal, 
game, a book, a movie, a TV series, you name it. As long as we enjoyed it, we're going to tell you all about it. And Andy, what's your neat thing for this week? I was late to arriving to the comedy talents of this troupe. I only started watching the TV series before the film came out last year. And that's People Do Nothing. Uh, When the film Big in Japan was coming out, I checked out the TV series because I caught clips of it, but never quite got what it was. I didn't know what it was. But when I sat and watched it all, I started to enjoy this almost Spinal Tap-esque look at, well, modern day garage music culture in a documentary style. And as much as I enjoyed the people just do nothing, more because of the characters of Grinder, DJ Beats, Chibuddy G and Steves, who are all just marvellous comedy creations in, in and of themselves. The m- movie was okay. I've jumped onto the Corrupt FM podcast, which has been on Audible for three seasons, and listened through all of them in this past week. And I've been sat on the bus laughing like an idiot at some of the stuff going on. The Corrupt FM Posse have now gone away from doing their broadcast radio and are now doing a podcast. And each episode, they want to talk about things like celebrities or health or you know employment, etc. And they are all played like absolute idiots. The Carajo Grinder is hilarious because he thinks he's the best MC on the planet. And he's so got so much an ego, but he tells really intricate backstory to his life from when he was like eight years old of where he was in america and in florida and so many of them are just like he's he's basically reciting the plots of different films he's tried to convince the rest of them that he was trained by mr miyagi into taking down loads of people before he went to play for the miami dolphins bizarre stories but every now and then a few episodes later he'll say something that contradicts it and one of them usually dj beats will pull him up on it and just go, oh, was this around about the time you were doing this as well? And and hearing him try to like blag around it. It's all scripted, but it's done in an almost documentary style. But for me, it's the character of Chibuddy G, played marvellously by Asim Chaudhry, who's one of the creators of the whole whole series, which really makes it, because he's a wannabe entrepreneur who every week has a different business that he's promoting on the show. And he creates the jingles for the show with the advert breaks, and the adverts are brilliant. Absolutely chuckling away listening to three seasons six episodes each it won't be for everyone because i've i've encountered a good few people who've tried watching the people do just do nothing and never quite got into it but for me it landed really well with me watching this like i say almost spinal tap-esque troop of people who think they're better than what they actually are well i'm going to stay with uh, with podcasts as well and this is on bbc sounds discovered this uh, a week or so ago and this is uncanny i'm a sucker for a proper unexplained ghost story and this has ghost stories or unexplained events every week presented by danny robbins and basically each episode is a true tale of perhaps the supernatural so far we've had uh ghostly phantoms poltergeists uh ufos the battersea poltergeist danny robbins investigates each of these real life stories of paranormal encounters every episode is about uh 40 minutes long and they are gripping and if not sometimes frightening accounts of what has happened to an individual and if possible they'll get that individual on the show to talk about the events that happened. However, what also happens is that you get somebody who is uh, a a skeptic to talk about what 
could have happened and be able to break down the events. And then you've got somebody who is uh, a believer to talk about their point of view on the events. So you get a, a very rounded opinion of these sometimes quite chilling stories. And also the public are allowed to get it back in touch and offer their opinion as to what's uh, going on or potentially going on. A fantastic series. You can find it on BBC Sounds. We've entered into the second season. Um, doesn't matter where you drop in, but if you do, just be aware that if you drop in, that sometimes they do a follow-up episode. And, and they've done that on more than one occasion where the public have got back in touch to say, this is what I believe could have happened. And, and even point out, for instance, on the UFO one, that there was some military testing going on around that area at that particular time. Incredibly insightful, often gets under your skin, exactly in the same way that Evil Dead can. It's a really, really interesting listen. One of those things that you listen to one of them and then suddenly you go, you know what? I'll give myself another 40 minutes and listen to the next one. Excellent stuff. That's Uncanny and you can find that on BBC Sounds. Uh, remember to listen with the curtains open. And that, folks, that's us done for this week. And we'll be back again with another film file next week to entertain you, maybe challenge you, maybe suck you into this dark, unusual world of geekdom. No matter what, we've had a good time doing it. And we hope you've had a good time listening. Any plans for this week, Andy? Well, I certainly won't be watching any more Saw films. I I'm picking out some films to sit with the, with the daughter and watch. Uh, one that I've added straight to the list is Tucker and Dale versus the Evil. I want to introduce oh, her film. to the joy of that film. And then I'm going to pick out a franchise to revisit with her, which I've, I've threatened her with the Police Academy franchise. Aside from that, uh, a load of old Doom games dropped on PlayStation Plus this week, so I've started blasting through some of them for some mayhem fun. I love the old Doom franchise. You know what? Never played it. Anyway, Andy, see you next week. Take care, my friend. Couldn't do it without you. I'm Lee Ford. He's Andy Meekin. And I've just got to say, give me some sugar. Ryan Reynolds and uh, McElhelney. McElhelney. Oh, God, I can never say his like name him. right. And no <laughs> one can. And even Ryan Reynolds did a whole song about it. It's a massive pause between the hour. <laughs> i got Shatner again. Our social challenge into a recently we 4k we've got a film oh, do we've got a film <laughs> we've just got a film guess yeah i mean mila kunis seems to be trending at the moment it'll be quite apt because she's got an invisible career at the moment oh <laughs> hopefully she'll go on to bigger and better things i mean at this point in time with marvel's decline pretty much anything is a bitter and better thing <laughs> transformers rise of the beast as a bit of a mess and are getting concerned. I'm not listening. I'm not listening to you at this point in time because that film's going to be awesome. It's going to have robots smashing each other and changing shape. I don't care. <laughs> Fun chat or wacky esca escapades? I can't even say the words. All you have to do, go onto your favourite podcast. Podcast? Man, I'm really struggling uh, today. <laughs> it's usually me. My, your favourite. I'm going to be all the outtakes this week are just going to be me flubbing. <laughs> And then if you want to get in touch with us and discuss hard and discuss, discuss hard moment, <laughs> do that as well. Um, Please don't send in photos of your ass. <laughs> you know, that's open the floodgates, so to speak. <laughs> Please don't open your floodgates. <laughs> exactly. And now it's time for Lee to get a glass weeks. of water. <laughs> to get a much-needed glass of water before my throat dries out.
Smarty yourself, smarty yourself. Dead by dawn. Dead by dawn. One hour 48 seems a strange time to knock it off. Hmm. Giggity. Smarty yourself, smarty yourself. Swallow this.